I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GO team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. How you doing today, John? I'm doing good. We're here in Seattle, and we have been uh, experiencing the travel wonders <laughs> of, yeah. of post-holiday travel. Yep, post-holiday and now pre-holiday since Christmas is coming up. So, uh, of course, for anybody that's going to be traveling by air, the word of the day is called patience. Without a doubt. So many people... As you could probably figure out, we just came off the Thanksgiving weekend, and I was traveling on Sunday on the busiest weekend of the year, and it was, in fact, a very busy travel cycle. Every airplane I flew on was 100% full, and every person that was going on that airplane was 100% full of tags and (laughs) stuff. Yep. No, it, it is a nightmare. It's a traveling nightmare. For those of us who are professional travelers, we spend our life on the airplane. Our motto is time to spare, go by air. Yes. And that's where the patience grows because you need to have patience. You never know when Mother Nature is going to throw a monkey wrench into the cycle, which happened in Denver with a snowstorm. Uh, that snowstorm moved its way across to the East Coast, and you got stuck in it, I uh, got- having to come out here a day early because of the weather issues and things like that. So you have to plan ahead. And now that we're going into the Christmas season, a lot of people that are only flying for the first time or one time a year, and it happens to be around the holidays, you really have to know how the system is played so that you know you aren't frustrated. It doesn't make your travel schedule uh, something that uh, turns into a, a living nightmare and that you're not one of those people that's laying on the floor in a major airport sleeping on a cold tile floor with crying kids and spilled drinks and people walking all over you and making all sorts of noise or anything else. It can be a challenge. And some of the challenges that we face, we bring them on ourselves. So I left for my flight, I left my house three hours early. I am 35 minutes from the airport, and I actually made it in 30 minutes. So I am very early for my flight. The line at security, I'm pre-check. When pre-check was decent, maybe 25 people in line. But the other line was huge. If I were just going as a regular passenger, an occasional traveler, and I didn't get there two or three hours early, you're going to have the stress level going through the roof for fear that you're going to miss the flight. And today, with all these uh, no refunds, you know, rebooking fees, and all the rest of it, just to add to your anxiety, 
is your already expensive $300 one-way ticket uh, each way to go home are going to turn into five or $600 because you showed up with insufficient time to clear security yeah. and get to the gate. And that's a huge issue. I don't know how many people I listen to them arguing with TSA agents or screaming in line that they're going to miss their flight or trying to butt in the line to get ahead in these lines because they're watching their watch or the clock and they know that they're running short of time. That's where pre-planning comes in. You know that any whether you're going into a Walmart to go Christmas shopping or going to the airport on a holiday season, there are going to be long lines and you have to plan for that. These are not the days where you can actually shortcut and think that you're going to be able to beat the clock going through some part of the system at the airport. I'm a professional traveler, as you are, John. I have done that in the past. I know better on certain days. And we have a a mystery (laughs) hangar rat sitting with us uh, as our audience today. We will keep his, his identity very mysterious, but he is a professional aviator and an aviation guru. And in our discussions with him, the three of us travel worldwide. We understand some of the shortcuts, how to, how to really be efficient when we're going through security and getting to the, the flights and, and watching the clock and being able to cut it to the short line. But if you're traveling with kids, you have any other issues, you're traveling with a service animal, you have to allow a sufficient amount of time during a heavy travel season like a holiday. And you know, one of the things that I got burnt with a few years ago is I was in London and ignorant to this holiday schedule. And I left London and went to Heathrow and found out that it was the beginning of a holiday weekend for them. I had no clue. I missed my flight to Lisbon. Yeah. Because I couldn't get through the to the massive amount, and London's already a pain because of security. Yep. And I missed my flight. The best thing, you know, to start your trip is to pre-plan it. That is, get your tickets in advance. Don't try to wait till the last moment. Because if you're trying to book, especially with a family, and you're trying to get the cheapest fares, next thing you know, you got mom sitting in one seat, your five-year-old sitting in another seat, dad sitting in the back of the airplane, and your daughter sitting somewhere else. And of course, everybody is screaming, we're a family, we've got to be together. You can't put that child by himself. Well, guess what? That's the way the booking happened because those were the only seats available. It's all about pre-planning, getting on the internet, reading some of the stories, going to a lot of these travel sites that give you helpful tips and tricks on how to make your trip successful and stress-free, especially during holiday travel. You and I can talk about if you're a single person like us when we're traveling, you know, you can get through the TSA pre. Um, I've got clear, which is just awesome. If you are a frequent traveler, I mean, this isn't a promotion for clear because we don't get paid for it, but I'm going to make it a promotion because I found it very efficient, especially if you have TSA pre on top of it, that is stress-free because the lines are typically shorter in a lot of the airports going through the the clear line. Uh, It's real easy to sign up at the airports. And I'll tell you what, that right there takes a lot of stress out of my travel. When I see those long TSA lines, the regular TSA pre-lines, and then the non-TSA pre-lines that wind around, snake around throughout the uh, terminal and then outside, especially during a holiday season. Well, I, I never even said this to you before, but when I was traveling with you on one of our trips, you went through clear and I went through pre-check 
and I was pissed off that I'm sitting in line. <laughs> so I, I, uh, as soon as I got back home, I bought yep. Brit Clear myself. Yeah. And, you know, you can take some family members through it. So that's one way to, to reduce your stress. The other way, of course, is again, I don't know how many people I've seen going into the TSA lines. They have these liquids, whether it's a baby bottle full of formula that you know you have to feed the kid. The rule is the rule, three and a half ounces. You don't want to fight with the TSA agent. They're going to make you pour out the liquid, throw the bottle away or whatever. You just got to plan for that. Mix it up on the other side. You can always find water on the other side. You can mix the formula, but go in with the powder. Do not go in with the liquid. Perfume, gifts. I saw a just recently, I just saw folks trying to go through TSA with gifts, food. The TSA hates food. When it comes to trying to put it through the security devices, they're going to make you open up the package to make sure, in fact, it's food. And so those kinds of things, if you know ahead, that's going to help reduce your stress because put it in your check baggage, pack it in your check baggage. Do not try and carry it on the airplane. Food typically isn't that fragile. If you're taking summer sausage or a ham or whatever, Wrap it in paper, stick it in your your suitcase, and check it. You know, that raises a good point. We've got carry-ons today that are as big as suitcases. You've got the airlines in defense have made their bins bigger. Boeing has now got their latest interior that has really made the overhead bins large. Yeah, I mean, you can put a lot of stuff in there. And but people the, think that they have to fill it when they get on the airplane. Yes. And, you know, people don't want to check the bags because it's a $25 charge. Well, I would tell you, one of your credit cards, you know, get one that has the either the airline's uh, issued credit cards or there's a number of others that get you the free bag, first bag free. Yeah. Checked so that you, you don't have that self-imposed pressure to carry it on because you don't want to spend another $25 on top of uh, an oftentimes expensive ticket. The other thing that's happening right now, because we're into the winter season, suitcases are heavier. I don't know how many people, and I go through the global service on United because I spend my life on United. And so even going through global service, I see people that have jam-packed all of this stuff into a suitcase. If you miss that weight limit of 50 pounds, they're either going to make you unpack it and pack it in or spread it out through other bags. And if you don't have another bag, you better have to make, <laughs> you better have a choice to make as far as what you don't want to take, or you're going to be paying that extra fee for that oversized bag or that heavy bag. Airlines make a lot of money over those. Extra oh, fees. absolutely. It's all the little things. And again, so if you have the opportunity, instead of trying to consolidate everything into one bag and you have two people, take two bags. Get under that weight limit. Each of you are going to have a bag. You're going to have to check two suitcases instead of one. But it's a heck of a lot cheaper than paying the over the oversize or the uh, the heavyweight bag fee that the airline's going to charge you. And that's just the beginning. You haven't even got on the airplane yet. Yep. And uh, I'm telling you, I've got this pet peeve, and it just drives me nuts now. I've been traveling for years. We have lost airplane and airport etiquette. Oh, without a doubt. The belligerence of people, the nastiness, the entitlement. Again, spending as much time as both you and I and our mystery guests spend in airports, we are observers. And I observe a lot that goes on. I've got a lot of friends of mine in the business. They're gate agents, they're service agents, they're flight attendants, and they're professionals. Yet, 
people treat them like dirt. They think they're entitled. And, you know, that kind of attitude, one, is going to be a loser because I guarantee you cop an attitude with a flight attendant, a service agent, or a gate agent, (laughs) guess what? They're going to make sure your life is hell in some way, shape, or form. You have to treat these people with respect. They can't make that airplane move any faster. They can't make the snow stop at a snowy airport. They can't create another seat. And they can't create another seat. It is what it is. And if you haven't planned and you show up late and that door is closed, guess what? You're nobody special. I've had the same issue. My flight was late, my connecting flight. I got to the gate and even with my status, that door is closed. That airplane's pushing off the gate. They'll be happy to rebook you on another flight, but you're not getting on that flight. And that's the kind of stuff that leads to stress. And the last thing any of us need, especially around the holidays, is that added stress. So pre-planning is the best way to really make your holiday travel successful. There are a number of websites. John and I both know a lot of the folks that write these websites. They have some great information. They have, they're resourceful as far as if you're traveling with small kids or, or service animals, how to, how to streamline those processes and things like that. Again, if you're carrying big bulky clothes, that doesn't help you when you get on an airplane because if they run out of overhead space, you can't shove it underneath the seat because you've already got your other briefcase or your other tote with you. So think about these things because you don't have all the the room in the world to put your stuff on an airplane. And let's talk about stuff on the airplane, right? In particular, we get a half hour to board the airplane. And you get up there and you're stuffing everything you can in the overhead and sometimes everything you can underneath the seat in front of you. And you finally get settled in and you leave. Now you land. It comes time to get off the airplane. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that are in row 10, but because they got on late, their their overhead bag is in over row 15 or 20. Yep. And now... They start swimming upstream to go get their bag while everybody's getting off. Right. Pushing their way over. And it just drives me crazy because they push back. And then when they get to their bag, then they push their way forward to get back to (laughs) where they were. Yeah, yeah, like they have a spot in line waiting for them. And it doesn't work that way. You know, there is a way to swim upstream if you think you have to do that. But guess what? Unless you're trying to catch another flight, which... Again, okay, the flight attendants typically make an announcement. They ask the passengers, hey, if you don't have a reason to get off because this is your terminating spot, let those people that have a connecting flight take off first, get out of the airplane first. That's respectful. And I sit there and I don't, I mean, I'm not in any hurry. Go, have at it because I know what it's like to be running across, you know, a mile of terminal trying to catch another airplane. But everybody thinks that they have to get off that airplane like right now even if they don't have a reason to get off the airplane right now. And again, it's all about airport etiquette. And, you know, with all the stuff that people bring on it, I mean, you know, it takes them forever to put their jacket on and pull their stuff out. You got to be prepared. That airplane, as soon as it touches the ground, you should already be mentally gathering up your stuff, physically gathering up your stuff so that you can expedite getting off the airplane rather than, oh, okay, now it's my turn to stand up and I'm going to pull my suitcase out of the overhead and I got to put on my jacket. Meanwhile, you're holding up that line and those people are not happy back there. Right, just stay in your seat or cross the aisle to when it's empty. Let people go. Yeah, there's always going to be a gap. 
Yep. So, you know, you just, I mean, it's like merging into traffic. You wait for the gap and you merge, you know? I mean, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, I've seen more belligerent people. I've seen the shouting matches and the, the word exchanges and the word wars and everything else. And, you know. I and mean, they take it out on the flight attendants. So oh, absolutely. The last person in line that, that doesn't deserve that kind of abuse. Yeah. You see it all the time. Yeah. Sometimes I step in the middle of that. But yeah, the, I've done the same thing. I've I've watched, you know entitled travelers or somebody that's sitting in first class think that because they're in first class, that gives them the prerogative to abuse the, the staff, that is the flight attendants. And I've, I've stepped in a couple of times and, you know, counseled some folks. And of course, when they asked me who I was, well, you know, the fortunate thing is when I worked for the NTSB, I'd carry that big gold badge. I said, this is who I am. As soon as they saw that gold badge, they shut up. Right. Now I have to just try to educate them. I'm a nobody, but I'm just telling you that I guarantee that if you keep up this attitude, the people that are going to meet you at the door are not the flight attendants. <laughs> it's going to be the federales. Yep. And indeed, it's oftentimes it should be, and they get away with it. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's crazy. But while we're talking about all of this kind of stuff, the FAA, of course, is reevaluating some of the evacuation standards. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the press uh, with regard to the fact that the airlines want to make more high-density seating, so the seat pitches are going to shrink. And, of course, you know, that means we can put more people on per cubic <laughs> per cubic inch on an airplane. The problem is, is that we don't have little people flying on airplanes. We have a variety of different sizes of people flying on airplanes. And Americans have been getting larger and larger every year. And not only are they physically larger, but then all the stuff that they put on makes them even bigger. So when it looks like you know, we're going to change the evacuation standard. As we were just talking a little while ago, John, you know, it's 90 seconds to evacuate an airplane in an emergency. And of course, the responsible parties for getting everybody off an airplane safely is the flight attendants. That's their responsibility. That's why they are there. I always call them a CSR. People think, well, CSR is a customer service representative. No, they aren't. These folks in my book, the flight attendants are customer safety representatives. They ensure our safety in the event of emergency, and they've got to get you off the airplane and make sure that you get off the airplane as safely as possible. And they're the last ones off. Yes. And when uh, Sullenberg dumped the airplane in the Hudson River, right, they made a big to-do about the captain being the last one off the airplane. Well, he was only two steps behind yep. flight attendant. Yep, exactly. And that's their responsibility. Now, my big concern with some of these evacuation rules is the fact that um, I was coming back from Brussels not too long ago, and there were eight or nine folks that were put on the airplane in wheelchairs. They were helped onto the airplane. They were in a wheelchair. They were then helped into their seat. They were strapped in. And they were at various parts throughout the first class and, and economy cabins. I'm just thinking to myself, if something happens where this is a survivable event, maybe a hard landing, they go skidding off the side of the runway, and they have to perform an evacuation, who's going to get those people out? How are those people accounted for in this 90-second rule to evacuate an airplane? The flight attendants are going to go and try and help all of those able-bodied people who can physically get themselves out of the airplane. But who's going to go back there and start hunting down all of those folks that are disabled in some form or fashion, and how are they going to get off the airplane? You know, the flight attendant has a responsibility 
it's thrown on them, but they don't have the resources to deal with it. Yeah. I go to Florida often, and I've had airplanes that have like 20 wheelchairs lined up when you get off waiting to take the people. And the other thing that really concerns me is the stature of the flight attendant. You don't have a bunch of muscle weightlifters and bodybuilders as flight attendants. You have, you know, slender women. You have, not that they're weak, but their stature is very small. And now you have a 250-pound guy who was wheeled onto the airplane, put in the seat. You can't expect that 100-pound flight attendant to drag that 250-pound guy out of the seat and try and throw him out of, uh, you know, an overwing exit or drag him up front to, you know, one of the uh, slide. yeah, the slide it's exits. Slide. And you're being generous with 250 pounds because I've seen a lot of people in wheelchairs that are a lot more than 250 pounds. Yeah. And then now with all these, quote, service animals, what about the animal? It's going to inhibit the ability for a timely evacuation, especially if you have a big dog stuffed under a seat or you have a pet that's under the seat and the people are trying to get out of the airplane and the flight attendants expecting you to move and you're still trying to grab your animal or whatever that emotional support thing is, that's going to slow the evacuation process. And then how do we get that animal out, especially a peacock or a chicken or a pig? I worked for USA when we had, right here in Seattle, we had a pig come on the airplane. <laughs> and now I've, I've come to realize after that, a lot of people have pet pigs. And I, may, I guess they make quite a nice pet, but uh, amazing. I've been on many airplanes with big dogs. And uh, I had one woman sat right next to me. With her dog. It's the best dog I've ever seen. Dog sat down, never moved, never barked, never did anything. Yeah. yeah but. but these people get on with a German Shepherd. That's the size of a small person. And if that dog is frightened and doesn't want to move, and the owner's like yanking on him, meanwhile, you got two people trying to crawl over you to get out of the airplane, that's going to slow the process down. And I don't see the FAA accommodating these elements that we're seeing more and more of on the airplane, the disabled folks, and of course, these service animals. Well, it's the FAA, other government agencies are in a box because the American Disability Act says a lot of things about those people traveling. Sure. But it's not, you're not allowed to restrict them. And I'm not saying restrict them, but there's got to be a way that's written into the regulatory requirements that you seat these folks in a particular area so that the flight attendants always know that in these particular sections of the airplane, these are where the disabled folks are going to be so that they don't have to try and hunt them down. Dark and stormy night, the airplane crashes, it lands, there's a fire, the cabin fills up with smoke, it's dark in there. The flight attendant doesn't have time to go try and hunt down who's still sitting in a seat because they're disabled. They're going to try and get everybody out. They'll go back and do a sweep. But again, that's time consuming. And I think that, you know, the FAA really needs to start taking a harder look at a lot of these things. I mean, look, we still can't educate people that when you have to evacuate the airplane, you leave your stuff behind. Look at the people in Asiana. We've got video cameras from the airport that show them carrying their stuff out. Look at Miracle on the Hudson. People are standing on the wing with their briefcase and their suitcase. Like, okay, we're just waiting for a cab. (laughs) 
it's crazy, John. And, you know, from a safety standpoint, while it is sometimes frustrating, especially for people that don't travel a lot, trying to navigate the airport, get on the airplane, deal with delays, deal with cancellations. Yeah, that's all frustrating. I think of it more like, okay, that's just part of life. That's part of my life when I travel. But when I'm sitting on the airplane and I'm thinking as a safety guy, what if? How am I getting out? What am I going to do to help others if I'm still able-bodied? And I know that the flight attendants are mentally targeting people, as they should. They target people that go, okay, yep, the guy in 5A, he's able-bodied. The person in 4A, not so much, because they're looking for people to help them in the event of an issue. And so I'm always trying to think, okay, if I have to get out, how am I getting out? And who am I going to help? And who do I have to go over or who do I have to go through to get out of the airplane? And talking about that, how many people travel count the rows to the exits? That's, you know. Yeah. You know, everybody, human nature is you're going to go out the same door you came in. But that may not be the best door. Exactly. You might be two rows away from the back door. And yep. you need to think that I'm going to go back, not go front to get out of the airplane. You know, the other thing is, is that... When you're sitting there, you have to not only think about the rows, that is, because one, you're not going to just stand up and walk down the aisle. A lot of these airplane crashes, the airplane, the tube actually rolls on its side, could roll inverted. During the day, it's one thing. You may have smoke in there, but you still have some limited visibility because of daylight, natural light. But now you got a problem at night. Now the tube is upside down. You're no longer on the floor. You're on the ceiling. You know, you have smoke up there. With a possible flash fire over the top, you're not standing up. You're going to be crawling. So you really need to know from a mental standpoint, touching the seats, because that may be your only way to find that exit is by counting those seat rows. The other thing that we saw in Air Canada with the uh, lab fire was that several people died in their seat from smoke inhalation because other people saw them trying to push the button on their seatbelt to open the seatbelt. How does the seatbelt open on your car? You typically push a button. Right. How does it open on an airplane? You pull a flap. And as you said, especially for people that don't travel a lot, your brain reverts to what it knows best. And if you travel in a car all the time and you don't travel on an airplane, but maybe once or twice a year in a high stress, high anxiety situation, your brain reverts to what it knows best. They were seen pushing the button, except there is no button on an aviation seatbelt. You pull the flap. And that kind of thing is what leads to either a successful evacuation being knowledgeable ahead of time or a potential death. Yes, unfortunately, we've seen too many of those. Yeah. And I, I've sat and pondered that question about why did I, I still picture right now in my mind a person that was sitting on an aisle seat in first class in one of the accidents I worked and still buckled in. He never moved to get up. Everybody around him out, got out of the airplane without injury. And he sat there and died. And I said, just what was going through his mind? Yeah. Right? He wasn't uh, impaired in any way. But a lot of people are paralyzed in fear. Yes. Because we talk about startle factor with a pilot. When something totally obscure happens, and all of a sudden, it's one of those you know moments where, what was that? What just happened? What do I have to do? Well, the same thing happens in the back, but probably to a higher extreme. Why? Because they're in an environment that they're not used to. And all of a sudden, you've had this you know, traumatic event, and next thing you know, they're just paralyzed with fear or anxiety, and they don't know what to do. They can't process what to do, and they're stuck there. 
until somebody gets them moving. Well, if nobody gets them moving, they're going to stay there. You know, most people don't realize that the definition of an airplane accident is based upon damage. And the statistics show something over 90% of the airplane events that categorize as accidents because of the damage criteria are entirely survivable. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So I hear people all the time when I talk to them about what they're going to do. Well, if the plane crashes, it won't matter. <laughs> right? But it certainly does because if you get up and move, the statistics clearly show that those that get up and move survive. Well, when you look at the most recent accidents, at least here in the United States, you look at Asiana. The only reason those three young ladies died in the Asiana 777 accident in San Francisco was because they weren't wearing a seatbelt and they were ejected out of the airplane. The people that were seatbelted stayed with the aircraft. The airplane did gyrate and tumble, but they all evacuated the airplane. And when you look at United 232, as catastrophic as that was in Sioux City, Iowa, where they had to make an emergency landing because they lost an engine, cut all the hydraulics, and had a real problem controlling the airplane. Yes, there were fatalities, but the people that survived that accident were able to evacuate. The majority of them were able to evacuate themselves. And again, it all depends on the fact that, look, they were belted in. It's just like being belted in in your car. If you're not belted in your car and you're doing 60 miles an hour down the road and you hit the back end of a tanker, you're not staying in that car. Right. You're going to get ejected. And, yeah. and Seatbelts save lives, whether it's on an airplane, in a car. Yeah. No it's all about it's, physics, right? you know, and the best way to handle physics is to stay with the structure because most likely the structure is going to stay in the aircraft. Right. That is the it's seat. going to protect you. Yep, exactly. You know, these are the kinds of things that, you know, you and I have seen from a, from a professional standpoint when there's serious accidents and incidents. But for, you know, you, the traveling public, knowledge is power. And, you know, you always want that power. Power being the fact that, the more you know, the easier it's going to make your life. And we look at it from a safety perspective in being safe. We don't expect you to be involved in an airplane accident. And in fact, the statistics, you know, your chance of being involved in any kind of airplane event is one in 29 million versus being struck by lightning, which is one in 157,000. So when you look at the odds of those kinds of things happening, yeah, your chances of being involved in any kind of, you know, traumatic or tragic aircraft accident are very, very minimal. But you want to be prepared. We as pilots are prepared all the time. We are thinking all the time. One of the things that we all learn as pilots, you know, flying, the first thing we learn is always be ahead of the airplane. Always be thinking ahead of the airplane, anticipating what might happen so that you're prepared mentally to spring into action. Well, being a passenger is no different. The briefings that the flight attendants give you are not there <laughs> to bore you to tears. They are there for a reason. The FAA requires that they give every passenger a briefing. I've heard those briefings 10 billion times like you have and like our mystery guest has. The fact is, is that I respect, I put the paper down, I put my iPad down and I listen. Why? Because one day I'm on a 737, the next day I'm on a 757, the next day I'm on an Airbus. Every airplane is different. The seating configurations are different. The locations of the exit. Yeah, you got two up front, several over the wing, and two in the back. But they're different configurations, whether you're on a narrow body or a wide body airplane. 
And again, you want to be prepared because you don't want to be stumbling around in an event where time is of essence to get out of that aircraft. And if you're in and around the overwing exits, there's such a variation on yes. you pull the handle, pull the window in, pull the handle, push it out. I mean, it's in the card. People that have those seats and a flight attendant comes around, pointedly asks a question about that. And I've, I've seen people just blowing that off. John, you know, the early generation airplanes that are still flying out there, that the airlines are still using, especially the RJs, the, the regional jets, you literally pull the handles, pull that door in and either leave it in the airplane because some want you to leave it in the airplane. The others say, throw it out the window. Okay, that's great. But now you get on a late generation 737, what do you do? You pop the handle and that door basically swings out and up. Yep. It's totally different than a lot of the airplanes. And if you're sitting there trying to pull this door in, you're going to hamper not only the evacuation, you're probably going to get killed. The reason for it is because either people are trying to go through you to get out there or you've delayed the evacuation because you didn't bother to read it and you can't pull that door in. It's a plug type door. It's going to open out, not in. Yes. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that, you know, be a smart traveler, be a smart passenger. Just like us being pilots, you got to be prepared. You know, you run a mental checklist. What if? There's nothing wrong with running those sequence of events or those uh, scenarios. Why? Because when time is of essence, you don't want to be thinking about it. You just want to be able to start reacting and reacting properly. So, and, and again, we're coming into a busy travel season. Not that we anticipate anything happening, but, you know, to make your life easier, you always want to be prepared before you leave the house till the time you get to grandma's house. And we want you to get there. Absolutely. All of us investigators, both Greg and I and everybody we know that are investigators, feel the pain at accidents and really feel the pain around the holidays. And inevitably, the month of December has some pretty big accidents that claim yeah. a lot of lives. Yeah. And it is painful to go to those. And we, I, I don't even like to say this because it, it starts to get me emotionally. But go into an accident site and see Christmas gifts already wrapped with people that were taking them to their families and friends. And you're, you're, you're picking up the remains or walking through the remains. It just yeah. ripped you apart. Yeah. And it is tough. And there are times when I've walked into a, an airplane that has been involved in an accident and I'm thinking, how did people die? All the seats are still in place. Everything looks relatively normal other than just the typical mess that you'd get from things being thrown around. What happened? And it's either because people didn't know how to evacuate, they failed to evacuate, and, you know, there are so many critical elements. People have gone out emergency exits not knowing that there was a fire out just outside the door because they never looked. They never looked out the window. They never pulled the window shade up to look out the window to see if there was a fire out there. They just went. And that's what the card says. But, you know, again, you have to read the card. You have to use some judgment, but you got you to gotta minimize the risk, especially if you're in the water. If you know you're in the water and you know that you're next to an exit and you see the water starting to come through the exit, you don't open the exit because you're just going to flood the airplane. Well, then, you, you know what? high ground. In the uh, Miracle on the Hudson, one of the passengers, even though they were, the flight attendants had moved everybody forward, because the rear of the airplane was firmly in the water, yeah. one passenger went back and opened the door 
and the water was flooding in and did not have the strength to close the door. So he flooded the airplane faster than it would otherwise have flooded. Exactly. These are the kinds of things. Being an informed passenger, that's what it's all about. And, And again, you know, it minimizes stress, you know. Crazy as it may sound, listening to two guys talk about this, going, I don't need to know that. That's not going to reduce my stress. I guarantee it will, because repeatedly, as a professional traveler, I always want to be mentally prepared. I definitely want to streamline the process because I don't need that stress and anxiety because I'm going into a very high-stress job. You know, typically it's having to do with some sort of accident or safety issue. So I don't need any more added stress. So I try to minimize those parts of my trip where I can to, you know, mitigate the elements of stress and anxiety because I don't need that. (laughs) You don't need that. Right. And as a traveling passenger, you definitely don't need that. So I know that you know, coming up on this, this heavy travel season, just be prepared. That's, that's the best thing is, you know, do a little bit of research. That's what the internet's for. See how you can streamline the process, make it easy on yourself, especially if you're traveling with kids or pets or anything else, because that adds a different dimension and, uh, you know, strollers and things like that. They take a little extra time breaking them down, trying to shove them through the, uh, the x-ray machine, things like that. It's going to be what it's going to be as far as TSA screening. So again, if you understand the process and you have the patience because you have built in some extra time, that will make your trip more enjoyable. So I think that I've learned that lesson over the years. I try to impart that with my family and and friends when I'm traveling. So uh, it's worked well for me. I'm not sure about you, John, because, you know, you're just a wildfire going through anything. And, <laughs> I mean, they know when you're coming at uh, Boston for sure. So it's, it's my second home. Yep, absolutely. People ask me where I live. I often say row 18 of some airplane. That's right. Absolutely. You know, they got my name on the seat now. Well, again, we, uh, we appreciate uh, you tuning in to this episode of Flight Safety Detectives. John and I are always trying to bring at least some sanity to some of the complexities of some of the aviation safety issues that are out there. This particular podcast, you know, there is a concern about the new evacuation procedures. And we think that, you know, one of the calls to action is the FAA to reevaluate some of the things that they are expecting when they are performing these uh, evacuation procedures. And of course, the expectation of trying to evacuate a fully loaded airplane in 90 seconds. You know, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that the regulations don't necessarily take into account. And I think that, you know, the call to action from our perspective is that those standards need to be evaluated. Maybe that time needs to be increased a little bit, but for good reason. And that is that, you know, you're evacuating more than just able-bodied people. And so I think that hopefully the FAA will take that into consideration. Need to address the changing demographics of air travel. Yep. And they are changing. We see it every single day. And the fact that we are going to need 675,000 pilots worldwide over the next 20 years, that tells us in the industry that aviation isn't shrinking. It's growing and it's going to continue to grow. Why? Because it is the safest mode of transportation. It is the most efficient mode of transportation. And people now can afford this level of transportation like they could never do before. And so, again, to be a well-prepared traveler makes your life a lot easier. 
So with that being said, John, I will wish you a uh, definitely a happy holiday season. We will be coming back strong with our next podcast with regard to uh, the Lion Air accident and the forthcoming Ethiopian accident and really dissecting a lot of the details that uh, we had discussed on uh, other podcasts. And then, of course, our trip to Boeing and getting some real firsthand tactile education um, that we're going to use in dissecting the next parts of these reports. I'm sure that everybody listening to us that has an interest in those Ethiopian and Indonesian accidents will be very happy to hear what we have to say and, and uh, what we've learned. And we'll share it with you in a way which the average person will be able to understand. We always appreciate your feedback. Um, we, we definitely want you to communicate with us and let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you find informative. If you want us to expand on a discussion or basically shut up on a discussion, we'll be happy to do that. The best way to tell us that is to communicate via email because we read all the emails. You can contact us at Flight Safety Detectives, that's with an S, at gmail.com. And uh, with that being said, I know that uh, you will fly safe because I intend to fly safe for this holiday season. And to all of you, fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.